This podcast includes frank discussions of mature themes that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is intended to provide encouragement and support through personal storytelling. The views expressed are the opinions of the participants and not intended to be medical, legal, clinical, or professional information or advice of any kind. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. 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 Welcome, 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 welcome to the Bubble Hour. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power. Weakness head on me. Jean McCarthy, and you're listening to The Bubble Hour. Hello, and welcome to The Bubble Hour Archives, a treasure trove of episodes ranging from 2012 to 2022. I'm recovery advocate and author Jean McCarthy. I joined The Bubble Hour as a host in season two. Together with other hosts over the years, Ellie, Lisa, Amanda, and Catherine, we all extend to you our gratitude for listening and a heartfelt wish that this podcast will find a welcome home in your recovery toolkit. The resources mentioned on the show are available at thebubblehour.com, including information on the online support group called the BFB, or Booze Free Brigade, often mentioned on the show. Now, if you're hearing this message, you're listening to one of our free archived episodes, and we'll make sure that there are loads of these available for you to enjoy. These are partial versions of the original recordings, and if you want to hear more, you can listen to full versions and the entire back catalog ad-free by joining us on Patreon. So just head to patreon.com slash thebubblehour to learn more. I'll also put a link in the show notes to make it even easier for you to find that. So, all right then, enjoy the show. Hey everybody, this is Lisa and welcome to the Bubble Hour where real women tell real stories of alcoholism and recovery. I'm here tonight with my co-hosts Amanda and Ellie and we're excited to welcome Kate and Mandy as our guests. Hey everyone, welcome. Hey Lisa. Tonight we're talking about one of the most important things we did on our journey to sobriety, which was asking for help and the importance of becoming accountable to someone you trust. If you're listening tonight and you've tried everything to stop drinking on your own, hopefully this show will help you. And if you're accepting that you need to ask for help, but you're not sure exactly where to start, we're hoping that maybe what we share from our own personal experiences will help you kind of find your way. For me, I'll, go, I'll start. For me, it was, um, I think, because I feel so vulnerable when I ask for help, you know, throughout my life, I kind of spun a cocoon as a self-reliance, as my chief defense and not wanting to show my perceived vulnerability really caused me to refrain from asking for help. And I know now that asking for help does make me vulnerable and I'm learning slowly that it's okay for me to be vulnerable because I'm human. And in recovery, I've learned that even though I don't, even though I like to be, you know, super productive and solve all the problems and get everything done on my own, I'm learning that it's not always possible and that it's okay, that I don't have to do it all alone anymore. And that's what the old me did. So that was kind of the me who used to drink 
you know, over all the resentment I felt that came with doing everything on my own, when all I had to do, now I know, was ask for a little help. And so being under the very, very mistaken illusion that I can do things better, you know, right, that I shouldn't burden others with my problems, that didn't make me more powerful at all. And that way of thinking really only, only made me weaker. And so I'm kind of learning that I don't have to do everything on my own. I can't actually do everything on my own. Um, in recovery, I've learned that trying to do it all is really just a recipe for relapse. So I've learned that I don't have to do everything perfectly either. Sometimes half-assed is okay. And if I can't make cupcakes for my kids' class party, I can buy cupcakes for the party and nobody cares. <laughs> and if they do care, I don't care. And that was a big revelation when I discovered that I don't care. And so I had to let my perfectionism go, really, to, just to maintain my sobriety. You know, for me, this didn't happen overnight. I really had to undo my entire thinking process. I'm still a work in progress. So just to start making this change was a pretty big epiphany for me. But I do, very, I do try very hard to ask for help now when I need to. And, you know, I do feel a little weak sometimes or ashamed when I ask for help. I would be, I think I'd be lying if I said no entirely. But if I try to always hide my weakness, I'm also hiding that I'm human. So I'm learning that asking for and accepting help is a really powerful and wonderful lesson for me in humility. And it's essential, really, for developing skills of compassion. And this has also been something kind of new in my life, learning to ask God or the universe or whoever's possibly listening to me for help. My friend Catherine taught me that help me, help me, help me is a legitimate prayer. And I believe her because it's worked for me over and over again. Just saying it takes the burden off of me to always be the one who fixes everything. You know, when I, ha- I feel like when I hand it over to a power other than and greater than myself, I kind of remember that I don't have to control everything and that when I do ask for help, I, I usually get it. I can ask for divine help, but it's through human hands and hearts that I get help and I just have to receive it. So that's been a pretty big revelation that asking someone, a higher power, is actually helpful to me. I know that part of my struggle was I would kind of tell half of the story. You know, I wouldn't tell the entire problem that I needed help with. I would pretty much, I could give a million reasons but or a million examples, but one of the most telling that I can think of for tonight to share is when I was still drinking, I told very close friends that I was depressed or that I was anxious. I think we've all probably done that. But the truth was, I was just, it was from drinking. But telling only half of the story kind of excused me from having to deal with the real problem. You know, I wanted to be anything but an alcoholic. So that, you know, I was scared to tell the truth because I was afraid it would be taken from me. So I told very close friends other things, but kind of just the pleasant parts or the parts that I felt like saying out loud. But those are my oldest tricks in the book, and they contributed to my alcoholism. So now I know that it's imperative that I have safe people to talk to and be completely real with. And I choose these people really carefully. I personally need people who won't let me get away with just telling half the story, and they can call me on my BS, and it's pivotal to my recovery, I think. 
but I am a very private person whose first inclination is to gloss over the ugly bits. And I'm grateful that in recovery I've been able to find a few safe people who understand this about me and who will give me feedback. And they'll tell me the truth, and they make me tell them the truth. So for me, I guess the main thing I would like to, to stress and that I think I've kind of stuck to is I don't have to ask, I didn't have to ask, and I don't have to ask every single person I know for help. Just chose two or three close and trusted friends that I felt safe confiding in. And I would just suggest that if you don't feel safe confiding in any of your friends, there needs to be someone you can feel safe confiding in and someone you can feel safe turning to for direction. So I would even say start with a therapist or a counselor just because it's important to have someone to go to. Before I started trusting people in sobriety, I told my therapist what I needed help with, and she pointed me in the right direction. And then the other thing that I always remind myself when I do ask for help or guidance is help is not necessarily going to solve my problem, and I can't expect the people I'm confiding in to be able to magically fix everything. So I've learned that sometimes just voicing the problem, just saying what it is, seems to take away the power. What about you, Ellie? Well, thank you, Lisa. I can, wow, I can relate to almost everything that you talk about. And then some, as always, when we do shows like this, there's lots of similarities. But I think one of the things that I look back on in terms of my getting sober, because I think there's sort of two categories to this. There's asking for help in getting sober, and there's asking for help in staying sober. And I'll talk a little bit about accountability also later in the show. But I didn't ask for help when I got sober because I was sort of forced to get sober. Not sort of. I was forced to get sober because I had been physically deteriorated to the point where I had been hospitalized and I had been in several detoxes. I had been to several inpatient or two, two, two rehabs. And I just, you know, I, I found myself suffering from that condition of thinking, you know, I've always been able to handle anything that happens in my life. I've been able to think my way or act my way or lie my way out of anything. And I couldn't handle this. And I just refused to believe that alcohol um, was bigger than me. And so it really wasn't until I was forced into a 30-day inpatient rehab program, and it was about halfway through that program, where I finally realized the problem was me and surrendered to my alcoholism. And by the time they had me leave the rehab a couple of weeks later at the end of the 30-day program, I didn't want to go because I didn't feel safe in the real world. But couldn't stay there. And they said, well, you know, we're glad that you're really scared because that means that you know you're an alcoholic and that left to your own resources that you will drink. So go out there and ask for help. And I had just spent 30 days of intensive inpatient therapy kind of learning some of the skills and learning some of the tools for how to do this because I literally didn't know how to ask for help. It had just never been anything that I had ever needed to do in any circumstance. I mean, there were plenty of times when I needed help, but I either successfully drank over it or I ignored it or I found a way around it, but I I had never really had to go straight through something as hard as getting sober before. So I just followed my marching orders for the first time in a long time, and I went to recovery meetings, and I sat in the back and glared at everybody and wondered why they were so happy. And finally, after a couple of weeks of of doing that, because my husband was watching me and making me go... I found myself raising my hand and introducing myself and, and, and just kind of, I don't know, once and for all doing what I had been told to do, which was to go to these meetings and ask for help. But I, I didn't even know how to say I need help. So 
So I just introduced myself and said I was new. And people came to me. You know, it's, it's a phenomenon of going to recovery meetings where the sober people are. I knew I needed sober people in my life, but, and I didn't know where to find them. I didn't know anybody in my immediate family or in my network of friends who was sober. I probably would have turned to them first had I known that, but I didn't. So I went to meetings and was given phone numbers and all kinds of encouragement and support that I completely ignored. And after two or three months of being dry, I didn't drink, but I was completely miserable, I finally broke down and started letting people help me because I found that at the meetings there was plenty of there were plenty of people offering to help. I just I didn't know how to accept it. I didn't want to be that person who needed help. I knew I had a problem. I wasn't in denial anymore, but I, I, I really was completely unequipped with the tools for accepting help, especially from people that at the time felt like virtual strangers and you know now they're extremely close and I, I, I trust them implicitly but um, that was a challenge for me and I think that little by little I found myself surrounded by sober people and when you find yourself with a sober network you already have kind of a connection with them on a visceral level. There are people that are members of online communities who find this or at meetings or no other sober people in their lives. And there's a level of trust there that is actually kind of hard to put words to. And so I found myself learning from them how to ask for help. I would watch how they did it. I would watch the way they talked to each other. And I kind of imitated what they did. And I realized that two things that were important, like I'm not asking for help thinking that somebody can actually fix my problem. That, like Lisa said at the end there, it's not really about can you make this better. That's really, really thought asking for help meant. Like I'm going to say help and you're going to fix it and then we're going to move on. It really is just about voicing whatever it is that's going on in your head or in your heart. And the second thing that I noticed was that I'm terrible at identifying emotions, especially bad ones, because I spent, you know, my whole drinking career going around them. You know, I, I didn't always know why I didn't feel right. And being able to develop the language to say to somebody, I don't, I don't know what's going on in my head right now. I just don't feel right. I just, I don't know if I'm sad or angry or... And having somebody that I could trust enough to kind of pick apart what was really happening in my life and, and letting them help me understand what it might be and taking their advice. That was a big learning curve for me. That was something that took me a long time to learn. So the third part of this is just at least spoke about with being truthful. And, um, you know, all of the asking for help in the world didn't help me at all until I really got honest first with myself and then learning that it was okay to be honest with other people, especially other people in sobriety, that I could trust them and that we were all in this together. And that really helped to cement some of those relationships and help me build that trust and be able to build upon the ability to ask for help. Do you ever wish for a little bit of recovery inspiration on the go? Tiny Bubbles is a new podcast that brings you the best bits of the Bubble Hour podcast in quick little episodes, just 15 minutes long, but packed with wisdom, insight, and encouragement to live your life wholeheartedly and alcohol-free. Look for Tiny Bubbles wherever you get podcasts and subscribe today. Tiny Bubbles, little bits of recovery goodness brought to you by the Bubble Hour. Sometimes all you need is a little pep talk so you can get back to living that beautiful life you're building. Before I got sober, I did not know how to ask for help. 
I did everything on my own and, you know, to an extreme. I always took care of everything. I was completely in charge of my life. And, and, and actually, quite honestly, I don't, I didn't really realize that I want, that I needed to get sober. I got sober because I got, I knew alcohol was causing problems in my life, but I figured I could control it. I played all the games with myself and it was, it was me getting arrested for drunk driving that finally got me to surrender. And my family and friends came to my house the day after my arrest and had an intervention for me, and I, I quickly grabbed on to that life preserver that they were throwing me, but I, I honestly don't know what would have happened if they had waited one more day to come and see me because I was that stubborn about asking for help. And looking back on it, it's, it's not funny, but it's peculiar funny to me that, you know, my best friend and my stepfather were both in recovery and both extremely happy. And even though I was having some problems in my life, I absolutely had no intention of ever asking them for help or even, and we would even talk about my drinking here or there, but I never thought, I never thought to stop, quite honestly. But then I got arrested, and they had the intervention, and I went into a detox the next day. And I, I don't know what it was that made me start asking for help. I, I really grasped onto the program and the detox and really listened to what they said, and they told me I was going to need to ask for help. And when I got out of that detox, I, I, my best friend actually picked me up, and we sat in, in my yard for about seven hours talking about what I needed to do. And one of the things she told me is I, need, I needed to ask for help and let people know I was new. And so when I went to my first meeting outside of the next day, I actually did try to hide out in the back. And it was pretty obvious, I think, that I was new. And so, you know, like they say, in recovery, in, in recovery meetings, people just came up to me and said, why don't you come sit with us? and we're here to help you. And I was absolutely blown away. There had to have been like, I got like 10 phone numbers and people just offered their help. And I don't think I believed them at first though. That day, I'm fortunate enough to have recovery meetings about two miles from my house. And I had gotten dropped off that morning, but I walked home even though people offered me a ride. I didn't have my license. And that evening I looked up another meeting and I walked to the meeting and I walked home. Even though people offer, again, offered me a ride, I just, I didn't, I didn't get that. But one thing I did learn pretty quickly is if I was going to get anywhere, including to a meeting, to a grocery store, because I didn't have a license, I had to start asking for help right away. And I, I do believe now, I look back on that and say, and think to myself, what a blessing or someone was looking out for me that I didn't have my license because for 17 months I had to ask people for rides every day to do the simplest things in my life. And so I became very, very accustomed to asking for help. And I would try to reserve it for just the necessities in life. I think for 17 months I didn't do anything that was, you know, beyond a necessity, just unless someone else was going there because I felt like I was imposing on people. But I, I learned over time, like Mandy was just saying, that there were, there were people 
one person in particular that drove me to the train station every morning so I could get to work. And we basically would have a mini meeting on the way to work. And, and after 17 months of getting up at 5.30 in the morning to take me to the train station, when I stopped needing, when I got my license and I needed a ride, he was sad. He said, I'm really going to miss driving you and our conversations. And, you know, that was really interesting to me, like really realizing that people legitimately want to help. And I know for me, helping other people in, in recovery, people who are trying to get sober, is one of the biggest things that helps me with my sobriety. So now I know, now that I've been around for a little bit, I know it to be true. But you all were saying it took it took a lot of practice, and it really gave me some humility that I really, really needed, um, because I really thought that I ruled the universe, and there was nothing that I couldn't do, and I was the queen of my kingdom. And I mean, I was just—I never realized, you know, how arrogant I was. And I, I wasn't arrogant; I was arrogant in a. I don't even know how to describe it, but I, I just thought I could take care of everything myself. The other, I guess, the other thing I just wanted to add, the other thing I did is obviously going to um, recovery meetings. I went every day, and I also was in an outpatient uh, rehab program. So I was in some sort of recovery meeting every day, but I was also, I took five weeks off of work. And so I had a lot of time on my hands where I was just sitting around the house by myself and Sobriety was like a whole new concept to me, and I had no clue what I was doing. So I was on the phone, I want to say, about 12 hours a day. <laughs> I called everyone and everyone. I called my best friend, I think, every day. I called my dad every day just to check in and just to, because I had, I had a million questions, like, why is this way, this way? Should I be doing this? What should I be doing? And I guess once I, once I, started asking for help, it came pretty easy to me, but in the beginning it was, it was, um, it was pure torture, and it took, me, it took me a long time to get comfortable with asking people for help, and now it's pretty much my, just part of my, how I live now, and it's, it, it makes life a lot easier. I agree. Okay. So, I related to all of that, Amanda, and especially thinking that you could do everything and your way was the best way. You were the queen of your castle and you didn't need help from other people, but it's kind of a relief to let help in. Yeah. And at Mandy, what you said about it helps people in recovery when they help you. I'd never really, you know, I never looked at, looked at it that way. And I think for me, it's also been very eye-opening to realize that if I'm always helping other people, but I never let anyone help me, it's kind of an insult to the people who want to help me. What about you, Kate? What have you learned about asking for help? Well, I just wanted to let everyone know that I wrote something down because I have a tendency to ramble when I get nervous, so pardon the reading, but asking for help is something that is so hard for me to do even when it comes to little things in everyday life. I feel by asking for help, I'm showing weakness, a flaw in my ability to be a good mother and wife or a person um, that I'm not good enough. So for a long time, instead of asking for help, I'd do it all and see it inside. Needless to say, I was pretty miserable most of the time. I put this feeling that I had to do everything on myself. No one put it on me. In doing so, I ended up wiping away much of the happiness and fun from my life. 
Eventually, I began to realize that I was not only making myself miserable, but torturing those around me at the same time. We'd all be better off if I just let go of these feelings and ask for help. In doing so, I have had to relax and lower my standards when it comes to certain things. I've had to accept that things may not be done the second that I ask, to my liking or the way I do them. But if it is one less thing I have to worry about, does it really matter? I try really hard not to let it matter nowadays. I still fall back into the trap at times, like this weekend, for instance, but I've gotten better at recognizing the feeling of angst inside, the fact that I'm miserable and I try to communicate, although sometimes not very effectively, what is bothering me and what can be done to help me get over that feeling of being overwhelmed. The fact that I had a hard time asking for help with mundane, everyday tasks made the idea of asking for help with my drinking problem seem absolutely impossible initially. I felt I couldn't ask my husband because he wants to be married to an alcoholic. He didn't sign up for this. So I initially turned to the online community, the Booze-Free Brigade, and I desperately needed someone, anybody, to talk to about my problem with alcohol. I was amazed by the outpouring of support from random strangers. These people understood exactly what I was feeling and didn't judge me. It was the first time I was ever honest with anyone about what was really going on with me and my relationship with alcohol. It was such a relief to tell somebody the truth. I learned that if you ask for help, either via a post or a text or a phone call, these people were there no matter what. It is truly amazing, and I am extremely grateful. Ultimately, the sense of relief felt from finally being honest and thanks to the guidance and dental prodding of some of my BSB friends. They eventually convinced me to talk to my husband, my parents, and a friend. I was able to make them aware of my problem, let some of the dirty details, and ask for their help. It took months, but I did finally realize that there is no way that I'm going to be able to achieve long-term sobriety without the support of and help from my family and friends. And I'll get into, you know, the whole accountability side of things later on, but that's all that I have. Oh, beautiful. Well, okay. Hey, that was, I mean, every word you just said, I could totally relate to. And in fact, sometimes I feel like we have a very, we all have a very similar story, really. I just wanted to share something to keep in mind. I think this is helpful if you're trying to learn how to ask for help because I feel like the common theme is that it doesn't come easily for any of us. And once we've learned to sort of ask for help, I think learning to accept the offers of help, recognizing that people are acting in good faith and, and they really do really want to help. And um, if another person is being kind enough to offer help, accepting their help and at face value is really the first step. The next time the thought crosses your mind that you need help thinking through a drink or sorting out a problem or even something that's not even alcohol-related, although it seems like everything in recovery is somehow alcohol-related, but um, even something like carrying a heavy box or making dinner or working out a work dilemma, but if you feel like you really need someone to talk it over with, act on that feeling. And, Kate, you mentioned you've sort of gotten the tools to recognize where your angst is coming from. And I think that's a huge step in the right direction because if you can recognize those triggers and that pattern, that thought pattern, you sort of learn to head it off. And I think deciding on who you will ask, phrase the request in your head, and then you know, just do it like Amanda was talking about. It does take practice, but I, I've learned that it's possible. It's not always easy. I mean, sometimes I feel like it's the hardest thing for me to do. And I've been told several times that I don't let people help me, but baby steps, right? I'm trying. It's just something that 
feels awkward at first, but it does get easier, and it's really, I think it's important. Don't you think, ladies? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, this is Ellie. I just wanted to jump in for a second because something that um, Kay talked about really struck a chord with me, too, about how you turned to an online community, to the BFB, of which we're all currently members. But it, it, was, it helped you navigate the past of what you were talking about, about how to talk to your husband or your friends or your family about it. And one of the advantages, I think, to finding people in recovery, whether you find them in person or online or both, is that not everybody in your life that you have relied on in the, in the in your drinking life may be safe to talk to. There's it's definitely right. something that people who are in recovery or an addiction therapist or an outpatient program treatment center these people can help you understand just how much to share and what you need to share and how to ask for help and who and what to say because I think the thing that really resonated with me, Kate, was when you said, I learned how I can ask for help and talk to people about what the journey that you're on without necessarily having to share all the gory details with them, that the um, advantage of having a recovery network is that you can take the things that are really specific to alcoholism and recovery to the other people who understand them and then... But you don't necessarily need to turn to your husband or your sister or your best friend or your parents to help you get well if they're not in recovery themselves. They may not be able to understand what it is that you're going through. And I personally think that starting online is, is a more common phenomenon. And a lot of people are doing that because they may feel safer behind the anonymity of their computer screen before they may feel t safe talking to somebody in person. And it can be a really great stepping stone toward learning the tools to ask for help in your quote-unquote, real life as well. So I just really wanted to emphasize what you said with that. I think it's a really important point. It's not just how you ask, but who you ask that matters a lot. All right, this is Amanda. I just wanted to jump in, too, and, and, and that was a great point, Ellie. But another thing for me that I learned is asking for help isn't just saying, I need help. It's my, my sponsor actually told me that I had to share at every meeting. And just, like, what was going on in my head and, you know, not had to. She suggested that I share at every meeting. And because she knew that in early recovery, you, your thoughts are all over the place. And it's really, it's, it's really confusing. And there's also things that you're dealing with in life. And I think we, I don't know if someone else said it, but if just by sharing something that's going on in your life, something that you're have, having a hard time with that may or may not have anything to do with recovery, but it's stressing you out, you know, just, just speaking those words out loud just seem to let go of the problem and make it easier. And they say a problem shared is half, a, half the problem. And so... And it's, it's just, to me, that's, that's, I still do that today. I talk about things that are bothering me, and someone may have something to add. I mean, normally people don't talk directly back to you at a meeting, but someone may talk to you about after, and they can share their experience with the same type of situation. And it's just so helpful. People who are, are not in recovery can, you know, if they could learn how to, to do that on a regular basis could benefit from it because it's so nice to get someone else's perspective on something and for them, you know, they can see it in a completely different light than you can when you're in the middle of it. So I just wanted to add that. <laughs> Good point, Amanda. I agree. Um, okay, so basically so, yeah, we're going to talk a little I'll... bit about accountability and how that component of, of the show and how it really does tie directly in Helping, asking for help really does tie directly into accountability. 
And in recovery, when we're facing a difficult or upsetting situation, it does help to have someone we can be accountable to. Just, you know, really for me, in order to just sort of have a backup plan, have someone to help me protect my sobriety. And I think it's very important. And I know um, when I first got sober, I didn't ask for help like you, Ellie, but mine was a little bit different because I wasn't forced into quitting. I just, I, I had, I mean, I, I forced myself. I was only accountable to myself in the beginning. And for me, that was a really, now that I know more about the whole process, it was a really hard place to be. And I really felt kind of alone because I was very alone. And, you know, it was just always, I think, more tempting for me I'm, I'm, I don't know. I feel like it was, it would have been easier for me to drink again because I was so private about recovery. And so I guess, I guess I would like to tell myself, if I could go back in time and tell myself some, to do something differently, it would be, you know, find a support system sooner. Find someone who I has to talk to about what's going on because those first few months, I've, I very much felt alone. And now I know that I didn't have to. But, you know, I, I can't go back. So, But I, if I were telling someone who is, you know, struggling with the whole process of becoming sober, I would say find someone who you can talk to and who you have to kind of report to and you can be honest with. But what about, what about you, Mandy? Yeah, staying and being accountable has definitely been probably the most important thing. Um, I have to make it a priority every day, I think, to make myself accountable to somebody. But especially when I know I'm going to be in, like, a tough situation or be around people or places even that are triggers for me. Mm -hmm. And I'll just, I'll just, like, shoot out a text or post up on the BFB. And it's usually something really simple, like... You don't drink on Sundays, right, guys, or something like that. And then everybody chimes in. But, yeah. And sometimes it's good to know, like, who you can reach out to because, or who you can ask and keep yourself accountable to. Because mm -hmm. even when I make myself accountable, I still sometimes need to go back and ask for help after I make myself accountable. <clears throat> That's an important distinction. Yeah, very. Uh, what about you, Amanda? Do you? Did, I know you talked a little bit about accountability. Did, did you have a, anything specific that you've done? Yeah, actually. So when I one one thing, my like I said, my best friend was in recovery, and one of the things that she had suggested to me, or what she had done, was building walls around herself to make her safe. And so I, I kind of mimicked that action when I returned to work, which my industry and, you know, in my office, it's very, very much a drinking environment. And I was going back having been the ringleader <laughs> of a lot of drinking activities. And so it was a very high risk place for me to be, you know, five weeks sober. And so I made myself accountable to the people that, that I worked for. I mean, for one, you know, there were the higher-ups, just HR and stuff that knew I had gotten sober. But then there were other people that I knew would say, hey, Amanda, you know, let's go out Thursday night for a beer. I mean, that was like a regular thing. So I, you know, there were certain people that I felt comfortable 
telling that I told. And for me, that made me feel safer. I didn't have to tell them. I could have just said, no, thank you. And that's certainly acceptable to do. But to me, I just needed to be 100% accountable because I know how I am. And for whatever, and then once I did that and the response that I get, that I got was very positive from people. So I got more comfortable around doing that. And of course, I was accountable to my best friend and my father and my entire family who had been at my house for my, my intervention. So, I mean, that I, you know, I felt accountable to every last one of them because they had all taken the time to help me. And, you know, and they stuck with me. I mean, a lot of, you know, and I felt very blessed that they had stuck with, stuck with me because, you know, a lot of alcoholics at the end of the drinking, there are people missing from their life. And mm-hmm. my, my friends and family, they supported me and they wanted me to get this. I know that some of them didn't believe that I could do it. I mean, that's okay. They had every reason to believe that I couldn't. But so I, you know, I, understanding that too, I guess that's another piece of it I hadn't thought of until just now. I made it, I made an effort to let them know how I was doing because I wanted them to know that I was doing okay because I know they, re- they had really, really, really been concerned about me. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I don't, I don't know that anyone thought I could do this. I didn't think I could do it when I started. Mm-hmm. When it took some time, well, it didn't take long for me to figure out, though, that life was much better without alcohol. But, yeah, that's, I mean, really what I did. And now... Now I'm I'm just so comfortable with it's just who I am. I'm an alcoholic in, in in long-term recovery. I really don't have a problem saying it to anyone, but that took a lot of time to get comfortable in that space where I just don't really think anything about saying I don't drink. And but that that took some work. <laughs> so right. it's not something I'm I'm saying. Hey, you get sober. Go around and tell everyone you're an alcoholic. In recovery. <laughs> that was Ellie. <laughs> Ellie's the one who did that. I did that. That worked. Yeah, yeah. Only, yeah, I really did. Anyone who would stand still long enough, I would tell them. Yeah. I'm I, I, I got a lot of weird. I got a lot of weird looks. I'm in recovery. <laughs> <laughs> in the grocery line. Guess what? Right. It um, might be better to start slowly. <laughs> yeah. Accountable. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda, I have to say, this is Lisa. What you said <laughs> about your family not necessarily believing you because. Truly, a lot of alcoholics at the end of their drinking career have really lost most everyone. I've heard a lot of people, this is really a whole other show, but I've heard a lot of people talk about how, how long does it take for your family to finally believe you or whoever you're trying to hold yourself accountable to. Are they ever going to believe me? And really quickly, I just wanted to touch on that just because it hits close to home. But I think every day you have, sober your credibility is it becomes more legitimate and people start to really see a change and so I guess I want to just say if you're listening and you feel like nobody will ever believe you that you're really sober and you're really meaning it it does happen it just really takes time and like you Amanda your your family or your friends that you were accountable to finally saw that you meant it and but what about you Kate what was your role in what role did accountability play in recovery for you so far? Oh, I wrote something down again. So. Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, what did I do to make myself accountable initially? I didn't do anything, which is part of the pro- problem. Um, it's part of the reason why I've had multiple day ones since I began this journey in November of 2012. As I mentioned earlier, I wasn't honest with my husband for fear he'd think less of me or worse, leave. 
So I agree when he said I drank too much, but I didn't stop and correct him when he said it was okay if I drank as long as it was like a normal person. I would try to prove I could moderate or that I could stop, and I'd string together a few days, but nothing substantial. I'd make it through these non-drinking stints with the help of the posting on the BFB or texting friends and saying, you know, I'm not going to drink tonight, and they'd text back and say, no, you're not, because it's Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or whatever day it was. And reaching out when you want to drink really works, but the key is actually reaching out. There were several times that I said, screw it, and purposely didn't and just drank. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't until recently that I got curious about establishing accountability. I've come a long way on the past month, actually. The first person on my list was my husband. Um, The reason being, I wanted to go to this meetup with a group of people, sober people that were meeting in Boston. If I was going to go away for four days with people I met on the internet, I had to have a good reason. Right. <laughs> for a second, <laughs> so for a second I thought about lying. and I was going to just tell them I was going away with my college friends, but then I realized it would totally ruin any fun that I might have because I'd be afraid that he might catch me and it would just be a mess. So I decided I owed it to him and to myself to finally be honest. And it turns out he was totally supportive. He still wants to be married to me, thankfully. He doesn't really care about labels. He doesn't care about alcoholic in that term. And the end result is I absolutely cannot drink at home anymore, which is exactly what I needed. The fact that it isn't an option is also a huge relief. Being honest helped relieve me of the obsession of whether or not I could drink well at home, which is where I did the majority of my drinking. Um, The second person I told was a friend. She lives on the West Coast and was visiting late last month, and we had dinner plans. I ended up uh, blowing her off because I was afraid I would be too tempted to drink if we met for dinner. So I ended up feeling guilty afterwards about my decision to lie to her and emailed her with the truth. I kept it simple and left out the gory details again, but I was honest. I told her I had a problem with drinking, and I was afraid that if we met up, I would drink. When she responded, I was floored. Not only was she completely supportive, proud, and grateful that I felt I could be honest with her, but she also wanted to talk in more detail because she has had some similar feelings lately about her drinking. So not only was I helping myself by establishing accountability with others, I could possibly be helping her. Like I was thinking this is what all of you guys who are like sober rock stars on the BFB are talking about. I'm starting to understand. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I was on a roll today. The last group of people that I've talked to were my parents and siblings. I try to make a point to visit my parents every weekend so they have a chance to see my kids. And without without fail at their house, a happy hour starts at 3 o'clock. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how many times I told myself I wasn't going to drink, I'm like three out of the four times I was there, I did. Oftentimes putting an end to any time I had managed to scrape together. So I absolutely knew I had to address my problem with them. On Memorial Day weekend, prior to visiting for a party, I called my mom and dropped the bomb. Once again, both my mom and dad were 100% supportive. They said they were proud of me for deciding to stop now before something really bad happened. Now they buy me ginger ale instead of uh, vodka and uh, (laughs) fancy um, non-alcoholic drinks. The one place I haven't established accountability yet is at work. Since I work in an industry that often includes wine-filled dinners with partners and vendors, conferences often described as drunk sets, and happy hours to celebrate accomplishments and 4 o'clock on Friday, I need to figure out something soon. For now, I'm declining all invitations, but eventually I'll have to put my big girl panties on and tell somebody. I'll include this with, I'm not a sober rock star yet anyways, but if there's anything I've done so far to help get me there, it is being honest with those I love and establishing that accountability. This is too hard to do alone, and it's too easy to give up and give in when no one has your back. That's all.
Wow, Kate. You that, are a sober rock star, Kate. You are. <laughs> yeah, not yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> no, you are. You Anybody are. Who's a sober rock star is just an alcoholic who's been sober for one minute or one hour or one day. That's all it takes to be a sober rock star, really, I think. It's a miracle. Yeah, I Take Good Care is a new collection of recovery readings inspired by the Bubble Hour. If you love the encouragement and support you find here on this podcast, then this new book is for you. Visit thebubblehour.com for more information or check the show notes for a link to purchase. You'll find Take Good Care on Amazon Worldwide. Take Good Care, recovery reading inspired by the Bubble Hour, the perfect gift for yourself and friends. Others find the message of recovery we champion on the Bubble Hour. Plus, get access to the entire backlist ad-free by joining us on Patreon. Patron support helps with the ongoing expense of making free versions of the show available, as well as the cost to make new content like our spin-off podcast, Tiny Bubbles. Become a Bubble Hour patron today at patreon.com slash thebubblehour and help us help others through stories of strength and hope. Being vulnerable takes a lot of courage. The people that I really admire the most in my life are people who are brave enough to be vulnerable, and I, I mean that sincerely because I think um, it takes a lot more guts to be vulnerable than it does to be, you know, putting all, all the great things that happened to your life on Facebook and never talking about any of the things that are going on and you're, you know, really happening underneath the surface. And one of the most important things for me with accountability and sobriety has been finding people that I have a... I don't know, like a reciprocal vulnerability relationship with where, you know, I find that every time I'm vulnerable with safe people, which usually means sober people, but not always, it always brings gifts to me, like Kate talked about with her friend. And it really, it it means that I am now surrounded by people who are brave enough to be vulnerable and who promote vulnerability in me, even when I feel like shutting down. I'm learning to recognize the symptoms of withdrawing from the world and isolating, and that is good. that can be the very beginning of a relapse for me, or it has in the past at least. And so when I feel like I don't want to share or I don't want to have somebody, you know, to I'm starting to blow off social engagements or I feel like my friends are going to notice that something's a little off in me, I, I know that's the time that I have to share when I don't feel like it. That's pretty much the time that it's the most important for me to just say like what um, Amanda was saying, you know, it doesn't just share what's going on because maybe they can help you figure out what's at the bottom of it. And I, I actually, I had a friend in early sobriety um, who I literally would call on the phone and I would have some sort of like conversation that I might have been having with somebody earlier in the day and I was just replaying it, you know, this constant loop in my head, like, oh, what did she mean when she said that? And then I said this and then she said that. What did that mean? And I could work myself into a frenzy over the smallest things. And so I would call her on the phone and I would say, I have a, a real or not real question to ask you. Like, is this real or is this in my head? And that's the point where she'd say, and say, hello? And I'd say, real or not real? Let me tell you what's going on. <laughs> but I never had a relationship like that with anybody until I got sober. And um, so being really pretty much constantly in touch with sober people, even if it's just a chat, as several people have mentioned, is really important so that they understand what my baseline is like. You know, that this is how Ellie is in her normal, everyday life. Normal. <laughs> That's a joke. But in my everyday life, that so that they may notice when I'm off the beam before I do. 
you know, they might be able to say, hey, you know, if you notice that you're not sleeping that much or that maybe you're taking on too many things or that you, you know, you've mentioned this thing about so-and-so five times already and it just, it can be really helpful. But if I'm not constantly talking with them, even if it's just about what seem like small things, then, you know, nobody really understands what's going on in my head and it's easy for me to say, oh, it's too hard to call her because then I just have to catch her up on everything and I'm just going to, you know, sit in the corner and eat Doritos and play Candy Crush and forget about it. You know, I, I need to make sure that I'm not pulling away from, from the, my, my support network. But even in the light of that, I also wanted to mention that I really believe that accountability is an inside job, you know, that we, at least I should say I, I had to learn how to be honest and ask for help and how to be vulnerable and all of those things came just from practice. And as I practiced doing those things, I could understand when I was holding back or maybe not being said truthful with myself. I was so good at lying to myself. I mean, I think that's one of the things that alcoholics mm-hmm. do. We, we start to believe the things that we do to justify our drinking, and so we become very adept not being accountable to ourselves. I think one of the reasons why what Kate talked about in terms of sharing at home and then sharing with family and then thinking about sharing at work, it just to make yourself accountable, it's terrifying. Because each place that you share, that's one less place you can drink, you know? Right. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's what I mean, like it, getting that courage to reach deep and understand that you're doing something that, that your disease is screaming at you not to do, that starts inside. And it's, I did a lot of journaling in early recovery for this reason because I, I, thought, I felt when I was writing, I, I'm a writer anyway, and so I, I could be more truthful that way and I could read my own words and I could actually even look back and read my own journal and realize where I was lying in my journal, where I thought I was being truthful about how I felt about things. I would even find myself, this is embarrassing, but I would find myself like talking to myself in the mirror sometimes. Like, you are an <laughs> idiot. Like, you want to drink right now, call somebody on the phone, admit it. I would have these conversations out loud with myself. I love how you I talk to myself in the mirror all the time. Oh, good. I feel better. Okay, good. <laughs> See, I was just vulnerable and I got right. to get I learned that I wasn't alone. We did not plan that. So I just, I, I wanted to mention that it's the whole a concept of accountability was completely foreign to me in a lot of ways in early recovery. And it was just being around people that like everybody has talked to. And I love what Mandy said about how learning that you're not alone and that when you finally cough up this thing that you think is the most horrible thing in the world and there's all these people nodding their head or your friend says, oh yeah, I know exactly how you feel. You're like, really? You know, that's such a huge turning point and, and learning that it's okay to go against what society tells us about vulnerability and just have the guts to do it anyway. So, can I jump in for, this is Amanda, can I jump in sure. for one sec? I actually, one thing I love too about as people get to know you and you go to regular things is I went to my regular, one of my recover, regular recovery meetings last Wednesday night and I was absolutely exhausted, zombie-like exhausted. And I went and I just, I wanted to be there, but I was just really, really tired. And as I was sitting there, I was actually like doing the head nod. I mean, I was, I was that tired. And when I got home that night, one of my friends, you know, said, oh, you sent me a message on Facebook and said, I didn't get a chance to catch up with you, but are you okay? You know, seem like yourself tonight. And I just wanted to make sure you were okay. And one thing I've learned in recovery too, there's a time where I would have been like, almost offended. Like, what do you mean I don't look okay? I'm fine. Everything's perfect. Yeah, that used to make me angry. And I was so happy that she cared enough to send that to me. I was like, wow, that is, and that's one thing I've learned about being vulnerable and getting to know people is like, we genuinely care for each other. 
And I thought that was so very nice of her to send me that message and, and just say, hey, are you okay? And, you know, I explained what was going on, and she was like, oh, good. I'm not used to seeing you that way. So, And That's there's great, been yeah. other times where someone's asked me something, and I have been, like, you know, all jumbled up inside, but not even acknowledging it myself, like you were saying, Ellie. Like, sometimes we don't know something. Someone, other people can see something wrong in us before we can. So I just wanted to add that. It's a good point, because when somebody used to tell me that I didn't seem right or that I seemed off or I seemed upset, I would literally get angry. I'd get offended. Oh, like yeah. they, they, they thought they had something on me or something. I don't know what I was thinking, but it, it really made me angry. Yeah. Sometimes it still does. I have to be honest. Sometimes, like, if somebody who's not in recovery says, oh, you're acting kind of strange, are you all right? I'll still have that ping of, like, how dare you ask me that? And I'll think, well, of course they're asking me that. Because <laughs> for the majority of my adult life, I wasn't okay. I just have to let people be entitled to think what they think, you know? Yeah. Thank you so much for <laughs> being on our show. Honestly, I mean, I, if, you, if you could have seen me nodding my head as you guys were talking, I, I, all of you, it was really, really a great show. And it's, it's also something that a topic that I need to revisit all the time. This is one of the ones that I struggle with the most. I like to have all the answers. I don't like to have people helping me. Right. But uh, every time we have conversations like this, I remember why it's so important. And I guess I'll just close by saying that, you know, if you're listening to this and you're drinking and you're thinking that you're all alone, you know, if you think that asking for help feels absolutely insurmountable, please trust us that it only feels that way, that in reality, help is everywhere. It is online. We'll talk about the website that you can go to to get some resources. There's recovery meetings. There's a therapist that you can even go to your physician and start being honest with your physician. And these people are bound by confidentiality. And, you know, these things are terrifying. They take guts. But Every meaningful, hard life change that I have ever had came after doing something hard and brave, and it is absolutely worth it. Whatever you do, if, if you're feeling stuck and alone, please dig deep and find the courage to be a little bit vulnerable, and I promise you that it will pay off. So thank you very much for listening to the Bubble Hour, and thank you, Mandy and Kate, and I hope everyone has a wonderful night. Thanks for listening to the Bubble Hour. I didn't, not proud, but that was me, and when I face Take back a little dignity, not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. In a dark corner is where shame lies to hide. We think you're strong just cause you'll keep it on the side. Just stays and wait there to rob you of your pride. Turn the light on, turn the light on, you can shine. When you see old, I did that. Not proud that that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity. I'm not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from power. Oh, this Talk to is looking at you in the mirror. 
Just want to be free from power. 